Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. And welcome to Asian Cinema Film Club, episode 81. I'm your host, as always, Edward Jones. And joining me, of course, is my co-host, the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everyone. Tonight on episode 81, we look at another Studio Ghibli movie as we check out Kiki's Delivery Service, a cornerstone of the Ghibli back catalogue, at least way back in 1989, and a film which I think has been resonating with anime viewers ever since but does it still hold up to repeat viewings we will obviously find out tonight uh but before we obviously get into that steven what have you been watching if anything i've got a ragtag bundle of stuff some of it kind of related okay um and the first thing i'm not really sure it counts as an asian movie but it's got an asian canadian director it's about an asian canadian Chinese girl. It's full of um, Chinese culture at culture. I don't know why I said it like that. Chinese cultural things, and it's also got loads of little things for um, sort of nineties anime fans. And I'm talking about, of course, the latest Pixar movie, Turning Red, which I've got to be honest, I kind of lost Pixar somewhere <laughs> when, I was, when I was you know when I was a, a father of young children the, the Pixar movies were events every couple of years we'd all go and see Finding Nemo or uh, Monsters Inc and then we'd get the DVDs and we'd watch them to death but somewhere in the last sort of 10 years I stopped giving a shit and okay. I can honestly say I haven't watched the last few. And the reason I watched Turning Red was I was doing um I was doing podcasts for another another show and then they wanted to talk about that. And I've got to say, although it feels very much like a a sort of a B Pixar movie, you know, it's no Toy Story two or three or or, or Finding Nemo, but it's really rather good. And it's um and, and, and for our audience, and I think actually, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but I think you'll get a kick out of it when you, if you see some of the, you know, it, it references things like Sailor Moon so badly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that, you know, those kind of 90s animes that, that were on that crest of pop, that early crest of popularity, the magical girl stuff. But it's, it's really charming. Um, and it's about that sort of, it's a, I'm going to call it the Asian American experience, even though it's set in Toronto and it's actually Canadians, but it's got that kind of mix of Chinese culture and, and, and Western culture going on. And it's, but not without it being rammed down your throat. It's just charming. And I know some people, if you live in Florida, you're not a big fan of it because you think it's 
perverting the nation. It, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's just. It's just really charming, really well made, and there's a load of stuff. There's loads of sort of tropes and characters that you and I would recognise um, from from sort of the live action stuff and and indeed the animated stuff that we've watched over the years. Um, it's just really nice. I, I don't think you haven't seen it, have you? I've not seen it because it's on Disney Plus, ah. and you know I don't like to give uh, money to the Rat King. So, <laughs> well, I guess, yes. but then again, I saw Soul when that came out as uh, another because all Pixar seem to do now is make exclusives to Disney Plus. It mm. feels like so I didn't I watched Soul and I didn't get the fuss about that one either. Um, I haven't seen the latest Toy Story, so no, same, same. I haven't watched Toy Story four. I haven't watched Soul. I haven't watched. Monsters, I think uh, Monsters University. I haven't watched anything since the one before that. So oh, Monsters University was fun. Um, I just, just um, I and 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 I didn't like cars. That was the that's probably, no, I uh, couldn't get into cars or planes or or cars two and three. I just, I don't know. Just somewhere along the line, I felt it stopped being special. And I thought, is it because they're putting out three or four a year or something? But no, they're, they're coming out at the same frequency. I mean, Up Up was really good. And so I think if I was going to, um, it's it's a bit like a cross between Up and Kung Fu Panda. I don't know. It's kind of, it's a, it's a people story without. There is obviously a fantastic element in it in the sense that the young girl turns into a red panda, and if you're a kaiju fan, there's a fantastic moment when another giant red panda storms through Toronto, but is like eighty feet high. So it's cool. It's cool. It's, the girl turning into a panda reminds me of uh, Ranima One and a Half. That's exactly what I said on the other podcast. Yeah, it's yeah. it's because the dad the dad in Ranima One and a Half, isn't it? Turns into a panda. Yes, so, and he turns into a woman. Yes. <laughs> so whenever they right. get wet, it's yeah. So it's definitely it's. I mean, I think the director herself. Oh, the other thing is, it's a female director. First Pixar film with a female director. Um, she had worked on some of the other films before, but yeah, it just and um, her short that she did before called Bao, about a Bao bun that comes to life, um, won the short film, the Oscars, a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was released alongside Toy Story 4. It's really charming as well, but again, trapped on Disney+. Plus. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really recommend it. I think fans of this show, if they accept, you know, if they can get over the fact they're not 13-year-old Canadian-Asian girls in the 90s, um, we'll get a lot, lot of fun out of it. And if you were alive in the nineties and you remember Tamagotchis and and boy bands like NSYNC, you'll 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 love it even more. So that was that. The next two things I watched are kinda related. Um, <clears throat> the first one is a twenty nineteen film called Dearest Anita. Now we've talked a lot on this show about Anita Mui and I'm going to talk about her even more now um so this was a film I got hold of ages ago well not that long ago because it's only released in 2019 so it must have been a couple of years ago and just in my head I thought it was a documentary but it turns out yeah. it's a drama um so the conceit is that um so we've talked about Anita Mui we've done Darkest Tales of Asian Cinema about her you know she's a just to reiterate, in the in the nineties, she was Hong Kong's an eighties no, she was Hong Kong's most famous woman, the the Madonna of Canter Pop. Her and Leslie Chung ruled the airwaves, they ruled the television, they ruled the film world. Um and but there's there's you know, she's absolutely adored by um the Hong Kong populace and, and even the wider Asian diaspora. Um 
so the idea of dearest Anita is after her, her death in 2003 some years later basically they someone was they were clearing out her house and throwing away a whole bunch of her property um there's the the film doesn't touch it but there's been an issue around her you know her belongings and things like that anyway members of her fan club see this happening and what they basically do is they rescue a whole bunch of stuff and what it turns out is that Anita Marie had kept a room of all the stuff her fans had sent her all the letters all the trinkets you know those kind of things that people are really obsessed about popular culture icons do yeah. i've never done it myself mate but yeah anyway it, it's there and the and the film sort of sort of goes about and it's based i think ish on a true story but they go about to sort of finding the people that had sent the trinkets and giving it back to the people that sent it and then what that leads to is i think there's about five sort of little sub stories and sob stories of of people and what their relationship with anita marie was and what she did meanwhile kind of sort of telling a bit of a it's got a, sort of there's a framing device and a framing device where one of the mothers of one of the people who has stuff returned used to knock about with Anita in her in her youth and sort of you see her relationship with her as she gets more and more famous. You never actually see Anita Marie except in sort of television footage, but there's somebody playing her, but you never see her face, but right. she sounds just like her. Anyway, it's it's kind of well made, but it is, you know, it's it's it, I think it was like funded or or sponsored by her fan club it's not going to look at the dark side or anything like that it's it's but it, it's kind of nice because it it also sort of references things like how SARS impacted Hong Kong when the, when that struck it looks at the the change in attitudes to LGBT LGBTQ people um, of which you know Anita was a you know her philanthropy and the way that she supported marginalized groups is one of the things that people love her for um yeah it's 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 good it's just you know it's you've got to remember they are not ever going to say a bad thing about her and she does come across as a bit of a too good to be true character and also kind of a sad character as well because it appears that Although she loved her fans and she did loads of things for her fans and they absolutely adored her, obviously she never had happiness herself. But again, I'll reference you back to both the episode where I talked about her and the next thing I watched, which is last year, um, the, um, the, 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 the Anita bio, biopic, that's the word I'm, I'm struggling for, um, was released, directed by Longman Long. Um, superstar cast, um, people like Lewis Koo, Gordon Lamb, the singer Fish Lou, um, starring a model Louise Wong as, as Anita. Um, so it was a, yeah, it's, it's one of those sort of dramatizations of people's life. Again, I, 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 what I, what I'd equate it to is Bohemian Rhapsody crossed with the crown i.e. it's a lot of famous-ish people inhabiting the characters that everybody knows but then they don't look quite like them but they get away with it because they can act. Does that make sense? I don't know if you've ever watched The Crown, but... Yes, I've yeah. watched all The Crown. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's, it's, it's not historically accurate. No one really looks like the people they're meant to look like, but 
they sort of kind of get away with it. That's, but that's how it is. And I feel the same about Bohemian Rhapsody as well. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody whitewashed a lot of things. Bohemian Rhapsody did loads of stuff out of order. But at the end of the day, I think it was respectful to the character it was trying to talk about. And I think Anita's a bit like this. Now, I haven't watched it as a film because it's been released on Disney+. Plus albeit only on Chinese Disney+. Plus. Get a VPN, everybody, if you're interested in it. And they've added in an hour of deleted scenes and jigged it around a bit and basically done it as a five-episode miniseries. Um, I assume it will turn up on proper Disney Plus at some point. Uh, I've only watched the first episode. Um, but yeah, it's quite good. Um, I'll probably talk about it more next time when, um, you know, when, when I've watched the other four episodes. But it's... Um, it's just nothing surprising and looking at it I think it's again going to be a bit of a whitewash job I don't think it's going to talk about some of the seedier things that she was involved with but um yeah very very much like Bohemian Rhapsody you know the way that the singing isn't really done by the actress herself it's a kind of mix of her and session musicians and live live recordings of the real Anita but it's it's all very seamless and nice and Lewis Koo actually looked quite different for once in a different wig and it's got this whole sort of 80s 90s Hong Kong um visual vibe going on which is really nice so yeah I'd I, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it it's just a shame that it didn't appear on real well western Disney plus um when you know we've talked before about how popular some Asian stuff has become on the streaming services so yeah, there you go. So two Anita things and, and something which isn't technically a Asian film in this our normal sense, but I felt actually had a bit of relation to tonight's movie. So there you go. What about yourself? It's been a bit of a weird week to say the least. I've uh, seen a whole bunch of stuff that uh, it's not really relating to the show at all. So I've got a couple of interesting documentaries such as like the documentary Frat House, which was uh, made by the future director of Joker and Old School and um, Road Trip, Todd Phillips, someone to say? Yes, you mean um, poker playing buddy of Tobey Maguire, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also saw a documentary about the uh, giant flying spaghetti monster, which I was talking about you, and the religion of pastif- pastafarians, uh, which I was tempted to bring to the show tonight, but I think it was just it's something that I think you've got to go and hunt down yourself. It's on uh, Amazon. Um, I passed a ferium. But um, something that is on, obviously, in track with ourselves was uh, I saw the first Rooney Kenshin movie. Um, this is um, based on the manga and the anime series. Originally released over here um, and in America as Samurai X before we obviously started using the Japanese titles for a lot of things. Um, this is the first film in the live-action series. You can find it on their Netflix, along with the other films. It's uh, known as uh, Rurouni Kenshin Origins. Uh, basically, it follows this former assassin known as uh, Himura Kenshin, who was, took part in the uh, Bakumatsu War and now basically wanders uh, the Japanese countryside, trying to atone for the murders he committed. He's now this reformed character, and he carries a backward blade, so that uh, when if he engages in combat with people, he basically beats them up rather than kills them. Um, but this first film sees him being caught up in a plot um, to release a strand of 
opium called Spiderweb, um, which is uh, set to cause havoc in the uh, Japanese in uh, the Japanese state. Um, along the way, he teams up with uh, series regular Sagara Santosuke, um, who carries. Um, do you remember in uh, Seven Samurai, um, the guy with the big horse felling blade? Yep. Yep. This is basically what he carries, but like uh, like our main guy, it's a dull blade he carries, so it's just basically a big stick to beat people up with. Uh, but no, this is a really, really fun pop samurai movie, one I really recommend checking out uh, if you haven't done already. Especially it's on Netflix, so definitely go check them out. And I'm going to be working my way through the other films in the series. But even if you've not seen the anime or read the manga, it's uh, definitely still worth checking out. Um, it's also one of the probably one of the better live action anime adaptations we've had as of recently. Uh, this one has got some really fantastic set sequences, some really colourful villains, and this great showdown at the end where you're basically seeing these two guys take on about 100 foot soldiers as they sort of battle their way through uh, to the main big villain of the piece. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed this one and I'm excited to check out the other ones in the series. So it won't surprise you when I tell you I've got the still book of the first film and I've never watched it. It wouldn't surprise me. You just buy a lot of stuff and never. I watch got it. it. I picked it. I I know exactly where I bought it. I bought it in HMV in Guildford yeah. because I don't know why I, I was going to Guildford a bit. I think it was probably when I was going to visit children or something like that. It's sort of between here and where where they used to live. No, where where my mother used to live. That's was when I used to go and visit my mother. That's right. That's why I'd go there. And but there's always there's always used to be a sale on Ovation stuff there. And and it was a steel book and it looks cool. And but I've never watched it. But actually now I know what it's actually about. I probably will go and watch it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can watch the original anime series on Crunchyroll as well. Mm. Um, I believe it's the the dub version as well, which saves you from saves you having to read anything. Oh well, you know. And we'll talk about dubbing later, I think. But yes. <laughs> um, but no, I had a really fun time with this. I mean, it goes on a little longer than it probably should, but I'm all for pop samurai movies and I'm all for colourful villains, and this one delivers both in spades. So hopefully the other ones are as enjoyable as this first entry in the series. But the f- film itself um, does star Takeru Taku Sato, who, uh, if you're a fan of Cameron Rider, he was in Cameron Rider Deno. And he's uh, also plays the same character and plays this lead in all the other films as well. But no, I was for sure reason for in my head that he was like a J-pop singer, like a lot of these mm. pretty boys are. But uh, no, he's not. <laughs> no, cool. I'll, def- I'll definitely check it out. Um, it seems, well, obviously it's, it's on the watch pile, but it may may raise up. Yeah, as I say, it's that it's a kind of a bit of a bizarre concept. Obviously, having this samurai who's got like a backwards blade because he's a pacifist, mm. but it, the way that it presents all the action and stuff, it is actually it works out really well. When you see like a character like Sanosuke, who's basically just like the street fighter and using this blade as like a prop to to like hold up guys so he can then go kick them. Um, it's a really good contrast of uh, styles between you know the reformed samurai assassin and uh, this guy who just likes fighting. Uh, there's a really great fight scene as well where um, Sanosuke is brawling with this this uh, 
villainous brawl and they have this fight that goes into a kitchen and they have a they have a food break and he's there like he's like a full chicken and stuff and he's like oh you want this he's like no i'm a vegetarian <laughs> he's like oh what a shame and then they just get back to brawling again so yeah it's great definitely go check it out there's one for like a sunday afternoon or something maybe cool will do but um, other than that, as I said, just a lot of weird stuff I've watched. I mean, I watched like Death Dream, which is a bit, which is uh, reminded me a lot of a Penguin's Memory. Oh right, <laughs> this uh, guy returning from the Vietnam War, but he's he's not quite right, and you know the, but it, it's again, it, there's so many beats to it with like a Penguin's Memory. It's sort of like you've got the family there going, oh, why are you not happy? And this guy's like uh, come back in this like zombie state. Um. I also saw Jumbo as well, which is my second French movie about women falling in love with inanimate objects after Titanic. So. Oh, that's the one where she falls in love with a fairground ride, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little lighter. If you wanted it to go a little harder, you watch Titanic. Mm. It, it depends on how full well, on you want to... Do you want to see somebody have bondage sex with a car and then get to <laughs> the Iron Man around it? Um. <laughs> Titanic's just odd. It's... It's so wonderfully weird, and the fact that Cronenberg has got his new movie coming out this year as well. Crimes of the Future, I believe it is. Right. Which I saw the trailer of, and it's just like real classic Cronenberg stuff, and it's like, just welcome home, David. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't even know how to, I'm, I'm calling it Titan, but I'm sure Titanese is equally it as probably, allowed. I don't know, I don't know. I have, no, I, this I have no idea. We're, we're as bad at French as we are at Japanese, so it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, that was a, that's probably the last film I saw which I felt viscerally affected by. Mm. Lots of films I watch I enjoy, some make me laugh, some bore me rigid. I'm talking at you, the Batman. Fucking hell. I still have um, to watch that. I've not even like seen the, oh, the trailer for it yet, so it's it's fine. But it's three hours of fine. <laughs> and it's three hours of rain and dark and fine. And I may come back to it and think it's you know, there's some lots to love about it. The 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 reimagining of the Riddler I think is really interesting. Our Pat is fine. The whole year one feel around it yeah. is is good. It's just three hours long. It's three hours of people going, I don't know, Inspector. What are we gonna? You know, just oh, stop it. But yeah, but as Titan, you know, I I I can't possibly tell you exactly what went on in that film. I don't really understand it all, but it was. Visually, well, you know, it, it was visually arresting. It was the story was affecting, and yeah, and it's a serial killer movie with a bit of like I say, it, it reminded me so much of things like Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yes, yeah, she's remi- a serial killer who has an effect, affection for vehicles. Yeah, it um, remi- the Cronenberg body horror <laughs> stuff is absolutely left right and center but also she stabs people with hairpins um she does it's it's a remarkable piece, piece of filmmaking it's you know people having sex with cars mate maybe not my thing but it's it's interesting and then but then it does all sorts of other things like it pricks out the pomposity of sort of masculinity there's there's, there's a guy that sort of might be her father or certainly sort of kind of adopts her that's a fireman that's addicted to steroids. There's all kinds of wonderful things going on in there. It's a great film. Oh, yeah. Film. It's very... This is the thing with the French. The French cinema's always attention-grabbing like this. It's 
why the um the new extremity movement was so good really when we have films like inside and frontiers and martyrs and high tension or switchblade romances it was uh known here in the uk um these films that just like provoke reactions you look at gasper noe's films and things like climax and irreversible and it's just uh, it's like they're making films that uh provoke reactions and same with this director i mean she obviously with both titan e and uh, raw she's now two for two in just creating these extremely memorable films that just work by their own rules mm. um but no if you've if you've not seen it definitely go check it out it is a mubai exclusive at the moment so uh if you go mubai you can watch it through there yeah and obviously jumbo which you mentioned i haven't seen it yet but you did when you you pushed it in my direction a few weeks ago mm. um and I've, i i'm definitely looking forward to seeing that because but it looks a bit more charming than it's Titanic. yeah i mean it's <laughs> it it uh, definitely goes a lot it it's more quirky i would say it it was sold as this like real sort of like head trip sort of thing but it, it ends up being a little more quirky uh than 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 Titanic, which just goes full on and it because certainly sort of like it depends on like how hard hard you want it to really uh go it to its love for in love for inanimate objects so and as we said before i've done it was on air or off uh, you can watch that documentary about the woman who fell in love with the eiffel tower including the scene where she's uh grinding her never regions against the tower and ruining somebody's romantic vacation no doubt nether regions <laughs> i she's i <laughs> Well, I don't even want to think about the logistics. I mean, this is a woman who's also married to the Berlin Wall. Oh, she's married to both? Yeah. There's the Berlin Wall. What, what did she happen when the Berlin Wall fell? Well, is... she she goes to the museum of the Berlin Wall and gets really upset that that uh, the Berlin Wall is so misunderstood. Okay. So, it's... Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere, so... I'll definitely fun, check it out. Have fun but... looking for that, guys. I mean, there is, there, yeah, there. I, I get it. Inanimate objects are much less hassle than real people. But I wouldn't expect a lot of affection back from them. Gee, anyway, Christ. let's move on because this could go to a completely different place, and you know, we've got a, um, we've got our fans for certain things, not for, <laughs> oh, frottage. <laughs> Well, we're certainly becoming the the show which covers these things, aren't we? So we are, we are probably out of step with modern sensibilities. But there you go. I was trying to think if there's any any, and I'm sure I had another one to add to that sort of category of questionable questionable acts that uh, on on an episode about Kiki's delivery. (laughs) It's what everyone's sort of tuning in for, isn't it? So it's just like. Yeah, just for those kids out there who just like, like oh, Ghibli, man. Just make sure we give something for like the uh, the Edge Lords out there. Wow. Anyway, nice. let's fire up the projector and get on tonight's feature viewing.
Okay, so tonight we are going to be talking about Kiki's Delivery Service from 1989, continuing our trek through the Studio Ghibli filmography. Um, was kind of surprised when you chose this one, because obviously we did Castle Cagliostro first, I would have thought that we would have done like, Nausicaa next, uh, but we decided to skip right ahead to Kiki's Delivery Service, Stephen. So... I, I did. I, d- be damned with lists and orders. Apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because I'm not really aware of some of those earlier ones where this this and Totoro and Spirited Away were probably my introduction to um and I will say it's Ghibli, is it? Is that how we say it? It's I go off Ghibli because uh, that's what film four say whenever they <laughs> announce for the hundredth time that they're it's having just a season. In Japanese, it's Jiburi, of which <laughs> it's, it doesn't. I don't understand why how, how we've changed it. Anyway, doesn't matter. My my introduction to those movies, you know, and, and I've watched them all kind of randomly, um, but I just wanted something light and frothy, but at the same time. I don't know, there's just something about this movie that I've always loved for all its flaws. And it's also the only film that we will ever cover where I watch it with the dub on. And I don't know why. (laughs) Is is it because it's Kirsten Dunst? I don't think so, even though she is amazing. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I... Every other animated movie, live action movie, I insist on watching it with subtitles and hearing the the actual language. Even you know, even if it doesn't really matter in an animated film, it's not as if the lips movements need to sync. But yeah, something about this one—it's just lovely, and I just felt we needed a bit of lovely in and amongst all the horror and fighting and stabbings and frottaging that we have to suffer sometimes. <laughs> If you're not obviously familiar with the film, it follows the 13-year-old witch Kiki who lives home with her black cat Gigi um, to as part of the tradition for young witches where they must leave home and find their way in the real world so that before returning to their hometown. Um, while on her journey, she comes across the port city of Kuriko where she soon sets herself up a delivery business while also becoming friends with Tombo, a geeky boy who's obsessed with aviation and is particularly interested in Geeky's ability to fly. So, it's interesting. I mean, we better just start off, obviously, with the dub versus subtract, because as you mentioned already, this is one you watch with the dub, and for myself, I also prefer the dub version of this, which the main reason I can attribute that to is the fact that not only is Kirsten Dunst fantastic as Kiki, but mm. Phil Hartman as Gigi prevent, presents a completely different and more fun character than the one we it, get in it the sub version. Yeah, and this is, I think this is like Phil Hartman's last role, was it, before he was murdered by his wife? Is that what happened to Phil Hartman? I think it is. Yes, he was murdered by his um, his his wife in a really mm. sort of tragic but it, circumstance. But he's excellent. Um, and as you say, it's a completely different character to the one that's in the original dub. <laughs> it's um, you know, it's sort of sarcastic and cheeky, and even the end, even something that happens at the end is different just by the voice acting. Whereas in in the in the Japanese dub, it's a female cat, isn't it? Because in in Japan, cats are considered always feminine. 
Um, so you normally always hear a, a female voice. But yeah, he's he's it's not an overbearing thing, and that's helped maybe by the plot. But yeah, he's yeah, Kirsten Dunst, him. Um, there's another voice in there which is very familiar. I'm trying to think what it is. Oh, Jam, that's right, who plays up? Ursula, doesn't she? Um, yes, and, she does. And, and actually, um, Debbie Reynolds, mother of, um, is it the Debbie? No, it's a different Debbie. Is it the Debbie? Is that Thingy's mother? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's Carrie Fisher's mother in one of her later roles. Plays, yes. Um, so there's there's some recognisable faces and voices. Well, not faces, but, you know, voices there. And um, to be fair, a lot of the, of the Ghibli dubs are pretty good. And this, of course, is the set. This is the Disney dub, isn't it? There was a there was a previous dub with people I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a, a another dub put out by Streamline, who also did the mm. Akira dub, which had uh, Raphael from the Turtles uh, do the voice of um, Canada. Uh, which is also it's like one of those iconic sort of dubs where everyone, if you're going to start yelling things from Akira, you normally go, go, um, go Tetsuo, <laughs> and you were saying that, that particular uh, that particular style, which is kind of jarring when they re-release it. It's got a different mm. dub tracks, so um, I think they actually had to redo the uh, release for Akira just so they could put the streamlined dub on because. Everyone was so associated with that dub track. So, but no, when you watch this on Netflix and stuff, yeah. they got the Disney dubs in there, which is the ones where they put the celebrity hmm. voices in. But I, but I think it works um, in this one. It doesn't feel jarring. There's a, oh, there's also so. a thing. I mean, you said she moves to the city. Of, what, what's it called, Kariko, which sounds terribly Japanese. But actually, it's clearly not Japan. <laughs> it's clearly somewhere in Europe. <laughs> It's in Italy, isn't I think it? it was so meant to be Sweden, but I could, it doesn't really matter, does it? it? It's it's clearly somewhere in Europe. All this sort of Japanese impression of what Europe is. I just like looked at this, and I was just like getting like flashbacks to like mm. life is beautiful. Yeah, no, it, it just reminds me of the town in that, the, it's in that movie. Real, so. I absolutely hear what you're saying. It's got this rural Italian town in the forties feel to it. It absolutely has, but I'm I'm pretty certain, like on the, well, it's just like this mismatch of things. But all the shops have most of the shops seem to have sort of northern European names on them, but then I think some have southern European style names on them. Some of them have Japanese names on them, and they sort of like the bread they make in the bakery is Japanese bread. <laughs> It's it's not like European <laughs> bread. It's it's really weird, but actually it doesn't matter because it's this is a world where witches are things. Uh, you know they exist and people just kind of accept it, but also are surprised by it at the same time. But the fact this girl turns up, thirteen year old girl, and that's why you know very similar to Turning Red, where the lead uh, May is is also thirteen years old. And is also trying to find a place in the world. You know, there's a very Cookies Delivery Service sort of feel to the to the lead character about it. But yeah, she just just turns up. I'm a witch, and and people sort of have this awe, the sense of awe because there aren't many witches, and seeing a fly around on a broomstick is pretty awe inspiring. But at the same time, they don't really question it, and there's and it's not like a witch like we have in in Western culture. Well, I guess we think of witches as usually 
evil <laughs> or no this is um this is less grim yeah it Sabrina. is it is um um yeah witches in this one are people who help people through mystical powers be it uh through tower reading or potion making or in kiki's uh so terms said through her flying ability because her whole thing is that while all the other witches witches that know what their calling is they all have their special ability as uh, she meets uh, another witch when she's on her search for a town to inhabit and you can see there's a very difference in in how she's been sort of raised and carries herself where she's sort of like this free spirit who sort of like does what she wants and the fact that she blows out uh, this this camping trip, she's been pestering her dad to take her on, just so she can go out on this like perfect night. Um, and the fact that she flies with a radio, and this she meets this other witch who's like on her way back from her sort of like time time away, and um, her cat's like perfectly posed, and she's got this sort of like air of superiority to it. It's sort of like, oh, I'm a tower reader. Um, and so, like, what is your skill? And she's like, like I don't know what my skill is. And as uh, we f- find out, and obviously from the title, she finds that, you know, just through perchance, really, that uh, her flying ability makes her uh, perfect for setting up a delivery service when uh, she returns a dummy to her, her mother who'd uh, left it at the bakery. And um, it sort of highlights the, the gap in the market for having a witch delivery service. And... I have to say, everything in this movie is so wonderfully charming. It's like Amelie. Yeah, char- charming is the word um, that I just associate with this film, period. Because it lacks a lot of things, but charm it's got in spades. Um, there's no there's no real mm. peril. It's all self-doubt is like the worst thing that can that really befalls Kiki in this film. Um, and her sort of fumbling and trying to find her way through the world is sort of like where the real sort of meat and potatoes of this story is where she's sort of like and because this character is, is so charming it's, it makes it such an enjoyable journey to go on with this character and I think certainly this is only helped by the performance put across by Kirsten Dunst in the dub track because it only further sells this character to us which I think again when you watch this, the sub version be it through like the language barrier or, or just the uh, the fact they made Gigi a much more serious character um, doesn't really come across yeah, as well. Yeah, I also, again, the, the, the Kirsten Dunst thing is that she also, she, she, she is, yeah, obviously she's American and she's doing it with an American accent, but she does voice it in a very Japanese dub way. It, it, I don't know, it just works perfectly. I don't know why. Quite, sometimes I just feel jarred by by some of the American dubs. But this one feels perfect, and, and Dunstan and Hartman especially just, I don't know, they just nail it. And like you say, there's no peril, there's a little bit of peril at the end, but there's no bad guy, there's no, I, I don't know, there's there's no great chase or anything like that really that goes on here. It's it's the story of a young girl who's left home, who's trying to find her place in the world, and, and she grows up, and part of growing up is realising that you're, everything's not an adventure and everything that's not perfect and um and she will fail sometimes and it's um it's just refreshing to to, to have a film that doesn't need plot to 
upbeat character work. And this is all about character work. Yeah, and we mentioned already about the character of Gigi. I mean, obviously you said in the Japanese one it's um, a female voice actress because, you know, in Japanese culture, cats are normally shown with a mm. female persona. Whereas in America, it's more gender-specific. And it's frustrating, really, because when you look at the original dub of this, Phil Hartman did a number of ad-lib lines, and when they re-released this in 2010, they actually removed a lot of those, and they replaced the opening and closing songs with the original Japanese ones, um, because there was a number of changes, and I think it's been well-documented at this point that Miyazaki will not allow cuts to be Mm. made to his films. He, after the botch job that they did with um, Nautica Valley of the Wind, which I believe it was called Warriors of the Valley or something when they released it, it was put out through New World Pictures. And they did a real botch job where they decided they edited it to make it more fitting for like what they felt was American audiences. And this obviously set upset uh, Miyazaki a lot to the point where he sent a samurai sword uh, out to Disney saying no cuts. And they actually approved a number of the changes that they did for the American version here. And said there's a number of additional sound effects. There's a couple of um, additions to the score in there. And obviously with the the dub as well. So it's kind of bizarre the fact that when Disney re-released it in 2010, they removed uh, many of these elements that they've been allowed to add previously. So, But, I mean, obviously re-watching the one that was on Netflix uh, this time, I didn't feel that anything was particularly missing and I think, again, it's just that there's just something about this dub one which just adds that extra element to it, even though I don't know, as Asian cinema fans, are we supposed to be pushing for the sub-versions or can we be advocating the benefits well, of both? I'm not sure where we're supposed I know, to stand. I know, I'm, I'm very vocal in various places that I am a not just about Asian films any film I believe in in subtitles big time but i think if it makes you if it helps you enjoy and i know some people just don't get on with subtitles yeah some people just get distracted especially if you don't watch a lot of you know we watch a lot of subtitled films yeah and i think our brains are attuned to reading and watching at the same time um but a lot of people, that's really hard for them. And also, you know, the way we consume films, we don't, you know, there was a time the main place to consume a film was at the cinema and it's an all-encompassing experience. Now people are watching things on streaming services on their sofa, flicking through their Instagram, yeah? So if you if you can't even hear what's, understand what's going on when you're not looking at the screen, it can be quite a difficult experience to enjoy the movie, you know? I'm sure you and I would both tell people to turn their fucking phones off if they're watching at our house, but that's just the way it is, yeah? It's just the way, that's just the way people consume media very differently. Now, indeed, they may even be watching it on their phone whilst things are plopping on, you know, notifications are plopping on. Anyway, so I, 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 I'm, I'm a strong believer in no dub, although sometimes dubs are funny. <laughs> I think it depends mm. what you're watching. Like if I'm watching like kaiju movies and kung fu movies, especially, I love mm. a good dub for a kung fu movie. I think it is something that it keeps me more involved in the action if I'm watching a, a dub. 
Although a lot of the um, Shaw Brothers ones they put out are all sub ones now, so. But you can enjoy it both ways. I think, as I said, uh, I grew up watching a lot of dubs because that's what there was available. Um, and obviously, you know, now it's the case where they don't really put out as many dubs and everything's all subs. Like, we look at releases from like Arrow and Fair Winder and Terracotta, they're all sub releases rather than um, the dubs that we obviously saw with like things like the Hong Kong Legends releases. You used to do a lot of, um, used to do both uh, sub and dub versions. Yeah, we watched, I was watching something the other day for our Anthony Wong month. It was that dreadful um, Jim Wong movie that you made me watch, Naked, oh, Naked Soldier. Naked accident. Yes, gee, wonder why you watched that. Is it that we naked <laughs> um, in it? But... I was watching it because you watched it. But anyway, um, <laughs> I started watching that Thank with the numbers. dub. And it was freaking unwatchable. <laughs> Mostly because it was, yeah, but you didn't like Black Mask. Either, oh, that well, that, that, that well. was a more interesting dub, didn't it? And, and they didn't just dub it; they changed the whole soundtrack. So one of the, one of the problems you can have with a dub is that you can utterly lose context around, um, you know, certain words and things. Especially if you're sort of in Asian culture, it, it sort of takes you out of it when people suddenly drop in a Japanese word or a Chinese word that you think. Why would they say that? Because they're all speaking with an American accent and, and sometimes it culturally doesn't work. And I think one of the reasons it works, I think I just said this earlier, but I'll say it again, is the one of the reasons this works in Kiki is that it's in this kind of weird fantasy world. It's a very, it's not fantasy in terms of dragons and quests and things like that. It's fantasy in terms of it's like this version of Europe. Yeah, I was just looking at the bakery is called... Um, yeah, it's what's it called? Gutiopania, which is looks like it's got like Northern European script, but it's trying to be like in a, like you say, like an Italian bakery. But the whole thing is a joke on the Japanese language. It's just so it doesn't really matter. The dub is not going to take you away from the culturalness of this film because it exists in this weird version of europe populated by japanese people <laughs> it's just yeah I, I i and i love it all the more for that there's something as well to be said about this movie is the fact that no matter where she goes that she's always able to sort of find exactly mm. what she needs so she and it's always a charming encounter such as uh she escapes from the storm into the train which then leads her to have this uh where she like falls asleep in the hay which belongs to the cows and that's charming and then she goes to this town and she's able to find a bakery where they just happen to have this loft um, and we have a lot of scenes of her cleaning yeah. things why does Mirazaki have such an obsession there with are two things, cleaning he lo- things he, lo- he loves a good cleaning and he loves an aeroplane <laughs> he loves fl- yes he actually went to the park to study the wind blown at women's dresses as part of his research yeah, for this film. Of course he did. <laughs> it's like what a hard day's work it is being yeah, an animator. I mean, yeah, he, you know, he had some. There's several of the films where aviation plays a huge part, le- leading up into the wind blows, I guess, which is literally about aviation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's always about these young girls who have these labyrinth-esque journeys mm. into maturity and womanhood. There's all about, there's always this uh, they always enter into the, 
we always introduce them in this like level of immaturity, and then by the end they've reached a level of maturity, um, which with Kiki's is supposed to be seen in the fact that you know she no longer is able to speak to her cat, which is just tragic in itself, and had certain little things in her personality have changed, such as like she, in fact she's uh, drinking hot chocolate instead of coffee and not obsessed with boys mm. yeah they make a point about that don't they i mean yeah it's in the same wheelhouse as my neighbor totoro it's in the same wheelhouse as spirited away um you know the, the like you said that the the young girl away from her parents for whatever reason that has to grow up and you know, it, but but at the same time, it's not totally about a loss of childhood. But the, yeah, and in the dub, they absolutely allow her to hear the cat again, don't they? <laughs> a sneaky little line in there, and I had to I had to go back. I did watch the uh, the undubbed version, last five minutes of it, just to check that that was the case. Yes, and the, and the cat, she never hears the cat talk again in the Japanese version, but they say in the American version, they say. Oh no! I think she's allowed to hear the cat talk again. It's just too tragic. <laughs> yeah, um, it's almost as as tough a voice acting role as um, the baker in this, who just basically the, yeah. So so basically, she she sort of she shacks up with a couple. The woman who's very friendly is is the most pregnant person I've ever seen, um, it's, it's, and her husband <laughs> is like this beefcake of a man who who has no words i don't he sort of grunts and groans and winks he seems i think yeah he's all, he's all about yeah, a good wink i think he's sort he? of understand i think that i think there's, there's sort of a suggestion that maybe he does understand gg i'm i'm not too sure it's never <laughs> nothing really comes of it but there is a it's just weird. he's literally the strong silent type but he's got a real soft spot for that cat <laughs> but yeah and yeah the what's the woman called the the, the Oh God, the woman that um takes her in, Osano. Yeah, I mean she's yes. fantastic as well. But this is kind of sort of a vuncular country type character that these films always seem to have. But there's she plays no real part in the plot other than she's there <laughs> and and you know just there's a lot of stuff like that that she's ah uh, I mean with with Osano she's there to be like the surrogate mm. mother figure really. Uh, because you know you can't throw these characters too much into the world. You've got to have like the mother figure or the big sister character there to, to you know provide them some guidance, someone to to provide some level of support rather than just throwing these characters out into the wild. As so, which we're apparently to believe that thirteen uh, year old kids are perfectly fine to be put out into the wilderness. It's like all grown up all over again, isn't it? I wish we still did that. Kick, kick that kick bloody out, TV show. Um, also, um, <laughs> I'm just moving on. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not as if her parents are bad people either. So we spend the sort of first ten minutes or so of the movie meeting her parents. Her mother's a witch, and she seems absolutely delightful. Her father, just a normal guy, but he seems absolutely delightful. It's not as if she's escaping from some horrible family situation either again it's like it's like totoro it's like spirited away where there's no there's not like a western fairy tale 
sort of sensibility where the father's married an evil stepmother or she's been brought up as an orphan there's none of that she's just she comes from a really nice family and she meets another really nice family and she meets a guy sort of a young boy who's really nice as well even though they try and make him out to be a bit of a dick in one scene but everyone's lovely even the the ursula the painter girl that she meets is really nice. I mean, she's a bit of a knob to start with, but you know, she's not only in a she's too cool for school kind of way. Um, yeah, very bohemian. It, she hangs out with the crows right. in the woods. And she's too orangey for crows. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, there's a deep. Um, but no, Tumbo is. Oh my god, he's so, he's such a little hound. <laughs> he, he, hound he's dog, really isn't he? into it. <laughs> he's so sort of like. He as soon as he sees uh as soon as he sees uh Kiki, he's he's just like obsessed with her. And I don't know it's been the fact that she can fly. And there's all there's these wonderful scenes when she like first rocks into town and she's sort of like cruising along the streets and all these people are just like amazed at this this little girl flying around and we see uh Tombo who's there with like the rest of the uh River Riverdale gang. In that little uh, jalopy car. Yeah, I got I got real Archie feels for that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is real. It's just Archie and Jughead and oh, the oh, anytime you get eight people there. into it, is it a Volkswagen Beetle or it's something like that, isn't it? It's 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 got uh, like some it's got European that kind car, of fit. again. It? This is this is a um, Japanese version of a German car kind of thing. <laughs> well, um. No, Tombo is obsessed with flight, so Murasaki put himself into the film here, and he's invented a flying machine which is basically... <laughs> it defies all laws of aerodynamics, as it's basically a bicycle with a propeller. It's the sort of thing you'd knock up in your shit. Yeah, it, it, again, again, it, it's really hard to sort of say when this film is taking place, because sometimes it looks like the 14th century, Sometimes it looks like like 1910 and the birth of flight and there's dirigibles and things. So that kind of puts it somewhere. But then she's got a transistor radio, which can't have existed to the 1960s. So I don't know when this is happening, but you're right. That bike plane thing ain't ever going to take off. <laughs> I saw, for myself, I place it around sort of mm. World War Two, sort of era. Because I mean, the fact we got a mm. airship. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking which, the uh, is that when you said it was like life is beautiful, that's exactly the era. That's yeah, basically the that's... time, the time slot I'm putting it in for myself. I mean, but it's like, like you said, there's no sort of it exists in its own time slot. I mean, this is a World War. Which yeah, true. Is, I am. Exists, I, so am can I am. I am. I am. be whenever. Over the fact that. Witches not only exist, but everyone kind of accepts they exist, but but they're rare enough for people not to assume. And I guess there's only one in a town, isn't it? That's the there's some there's some weird rules about this. Um, but yeah, but just, oh, and of course, I love a fucking zeppelin or whatever you want to call it. I, <laughs> me and Miyazaki have very little in common, but the love of the airship, any film with an airship in, is. Is good by me, even though it's. Why do we? Why do we not uh, get behind the old airship? Well, thing? I think I think the R one hundred and one and the Hindenburg probably put play to, put paid to it, but they keep trying, don't they? I mean, there used to be one that used to hover around on top of Wembley Stadium all the time, <laughs> but yeah, I just I just love it. It's like it's like the ship of the of the air. 
it's not getting anywhere anywhere very quickly but there's a sort of luxuriousness and there's an outrageous sort of there's such a I mean, I guess it's why I like steampunk you know zeppelins and the lights are always seem to appear in steampunk movies and games don't they they just they're just they do kind of, uh like in yeah. sky captain and uh, empire of the like corpse that, is they? that that one i watched that um i'm sure that that the sky is full of them and it's i don't know why i i it, it, it's yeah it's kind of that that aid that the the sort of the whole titanic thing going on a big ship a long distance at a very low pace but in luxury i think that's what airships say to me um utterly impractical probably good for the carbon footprint of the earth but you just wouldn't get anywhere very quickly i love that kind of crap (laughs) (laughs) getting away real luxuriously um but no and i think of it it's just like you think well i don't think there's ever been a disappointing sequence involving an airship like like Raiders of the Lost, uh, sorry, it Last does, Crusade yep. has an airship. The Rocketeer has a. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling our very own exploding helicopters coming up. The airship, the films with airships in. There's in the Black Sunday. <gasps> yes, where there's a, it is. An it airship. is. That's the, that's the one where there's a, is it there's a sniper at a sports stadium. Is that Black Sunday? Black Sunday is the one where I think it's the airship filled with poison <sighs> gas that's going to crash into that's the Super right. Bowl is, or and is that not written by? Thomas Harris, Thomas yes. Harris. <laughs> yep, the writer of uh, before, yeah. Before he found Lamps. serial killers, he he did something with a with a with a with an airship. No, I just think airships are great. Um, and this one here though does give me a problem because at the very end, shenanigans happen. Tombo invokes his inner Frank Spencer and manages to be caught hanging off an airship and gives Kiki the the kick up the arse. Oh yeah, because he gets um, the mooring line. Is it there's like a, a strong wind or something that blows the airship, and he's like holding that. One that's of the right. Lines. That's also tied to a police car. It um, does, yeah, there's stuff going on, but yeah, he gets he gets basically he's the ship the airship's sort of blown out of control. He's hanging off it at a great height and becomes a media sensation. And he gives Kiki the the kick up the arse she needs to to learn how to fly again, and she goes and rescues him. However. She only funk. rescues him. Everybody else on that airship is stuck on this airship, which has burst, is hanging between a clock tower and a, another building, and is losing air. And no one ever goes back to save them. And on my letterbox, I only give this four and a half because I'm really still worried about the hundreds of people that are stuck on that airship that no one gives a shit about. <laughs> What sort of heartless person gives this four and a half? This is this is a movie where like full on silly ghouls have seen seen this movie and gone, this is like one of the most girlish animes I've ever seen, and I mm. love the hell out of it. It's just, and I remember like back in the the day when like I was first like getting into anime, and this was like one of those secret handshakes. It's like everyone was like mentioning Kiki's delivery service. This and like fruits basket. I remember seeing like an all the old. Uh, message boards you know back when people used to talk to each other on message boards rather than calling each other derogatory things as soon as uh your taste yeah, it's funny you say fruits baskets because that's another one that um turning red is leans into a lot but yes and this is also um contemporaneous with akira isn't it so it's sort of it it, it sort of 
What know, a contrast, but they really. came over at the same sort of time into our Western consciousness. I think that's why Kiki has this this special meaning for me because it, it's probably at, at this time where where I'm becoming aware of. Oh no, I was I was never into Legend of the Overfiend, right, or any of that shit. But this. Well done, Halloween. Got some oh, fun treats ahead of you in that one. <laughs> I I've I was planning it out in the notebook today for like what we can cover for Halloween and I just think we should just do something like absolutely really sort of fun and crazy for Halloween. But is it going to be hen- to hentai Halloween? Halloween, Halloween. Right, I, I know. Hentai. <laughs> there may be there may be <laughs> questionable sexy moments. <laughs> Do you remember the uh, when you used to rent a video and it's like. It's sort of like they give you the breakdown of the warnings. It's like there may be some sexy, sexy moments. moments. Yeah. Whereas, whereas now, like you have to go to a, you have to scan in your QR code, go to a web, go to another website, which will tell you in great detail all the things they think you might be bothered about. But yeah, then, then, yeah, it was it was mild mild peril. I think is attached yeah. to this one. And this is this is literally mild peril. This is we we should hate this movie, right? Because nothing happens. There's very little peril. Everything is just, you know, as you announce, Kiki. Everything's just laid on a plate for her, isn't it? Even even when she fails, it's a pretty rubbish failure. Oh, one a delivery went well, wrong. Well, she she messes mm. up her package because, and she has to have uh, Gigi stand in as the the toy. The toy cat. Somehow, this child is so stupid it doesn't recognise the difference between a real cat. Who's not even interested in the fucking toy? Oh, um, a cat that sweats <laughs> like anything. Your, is your cat there going? Um, are you? What are you doing? What, yeah. What marmite? I mean, actually, that's marmite. She just normally here knocking over or, the equipment or breathing she's... loudly. Yeah, but no, <laughs> but she's 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 missing her chance. This is uh, this is this is her film, but no. yeah, there's just nothing about this should work. But it's held together with charm, with great animation. Let's not. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that... Oh yeah. This is this is a film that is like the whimsy out the yazoo. And I, again, it's with all the Ghibli movies. Let's just put them all to, together here, because it's not just Miyazaki's movies who do this. The even though a lot of these movies, not a lot particularly happens. What happens is so charming and engaging, and the runtimes are short enough for us not to really care so much. The fact that not nothing major is happening here the fact that such these crises are all very minor these are very minor struggles and it's all the worst thing that happens is that she suffers from self-doubt that causes her to lose her powers and somehow that seems like a real big tragedy in this movie yeah i mean it's not going to affect you the same way i don't know um god what's that one that's really sad um grave of the fireflies or anything like that (laughs) Oh. But it's it, it's just, and sometimes, but sometimes you need that, don't you? And it's not it's not a guilty pleasure. It's not that. It's just a genuinely nice, feel goody kind of film that doesn't lap it on too much. What's it? It's like um, it's like that uh, Reddit forum. I think it's called Eye Bleach or something like that. It's where they just post like positive, mm. happy things to to balance you out and. 
yeah, it's it's the counter to all the negativity and and down all the bad things in life. We, they provide that sort of escapism, but at the same time, it's not going into that saturating sweetness of Disney, where everything's like brightly coloured and has to be random. How happy, happy, joy, joy everything is. It's more just you know, it's more just you know, slice of life. Life. Is yeah, beautiful. and 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 we discuss sometimes to slow down and and take and just enjoy the small things this is what and, and yeah and, the, and there's not a big teaching moment in it or either which is another thing disney movies tend to do you know it's just, she gets she gets out of her funk right and she's 13 14 years old i guess she's, she's been there a while hasn't she so she might even well she hasn't been there a year and also it just ends right we don't know how her year ends if she becomes a real witch if she goes back to meet her parents again what happens to her and tombo doesn't matter it's just it just is um, I guess what we haven't said is, that as, as with most Ghibli things, it's not an original work, so it's based on a a kind of novel. Um, was it a children's book? I can't remember. I believe it yeah. is a children's we, book. Originally. And, and the episodic on. nature of this film comes from that, where it's just a series of vignettes, where Kiki, a witch in a village town, has a delivery service and. All the all the stuff with the airship, all the stuff with um, her loss of her powers and things like that aren't part of those stories. So again, we see this a lot, don't we, with Ghibli and with Miyazaki movies? You know, they take they take something and just put their own spin on it a bit, and possibly in this case, probably super. You know, most people don't even know that it's based on a book. I assume. <laughs> Well, the book, I mean, it takes in more of her year of, her year of mm. misadventures, as it puts. It's very Blythe-esque in that analogy. And some of the things that she has, uh, we obviously have the the delivery with the lost toy. She rescues her child from the ocean during a day at the beach. Um, her broom gets stolen by a flying enthusiast. Doesn't say who, so I'm guessing that's Tombo. Um, she poses for a portrait. She gets a giant knitted hammeraki or belly warmer to a ship out at sea. Um, the clock tower breaks down on New Year's Eve and she has to fix it. And uh, she has to deliver some musical instruments to a concert. After they were... Oh my god, it's turning into Thomas the Tank Engine now. <laughs> as long as they... It's <laughs> <laughs> so like the... she has to deliver <laughs> like musical instruments to a concert after they're left on a train by... By haughty group of musicians. Thomas the Tank Engine, though, is one of. Although most of it is like that, there is that really dark one. Is it James that gets walled up into a tunnel? (laughs) Yes, he doesn't. He doesn't want his paint to uh, to to run, so he refuses to leave the tunnel, and they wall him in. That's one of the Um, earliest books. I think it's one of the earliest of the Ringo Starr um, narrated episodes as well. Well, yeah, because. it was Ringo Starr in 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 the UK and in you in the States. Mm. George Carlin, who's another <laughs> out of the left field but, choice. Yeah, the the, the, um, the walling up of James was always the book that scared me because it's such a dark thing to do to, in a children's book. <laughs> There's not even a happy ending for him. They wall him in. <laughs> well, they don't wall him in completely. You just he's just yeah, left to peer but that's, out. They imprison the fourth. Portrait. Anyway, we've moved on. Kiki's delivery service doesn't do anything that dark, <laughs> which, and I think you're right. Maybe that's why I chose it because 
I feel it is very dark times at the moment and everything's polarized everything's difficult I spend half my time trolling neo-nazis on YouTube and and as you well I've taken it to be my new hobby is just picking on the afflicted but I, I I think I just needed a palate cleanser an utterly harmless and charming movie that I knew that you would like as well and and so we can you know I feel clean now I feel showered and now I wonder where you're going to take us next <laughs> I can bring out what's, what's that thing with the paper you fold it together and it tells you your future is it trapping I know what you mean those the, the yes I, can't, I don't know what the word of it is we can we can we can build we can bring out Elwood's uh Trapper keeper of cinematic <laughs> misfortune, if you want. Please, it's like it's up there with the uh, lament. I, do you know? Box. I was just thinking of that from Hellraiser. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> angels to some, demons to I others. Tear your soul apart, if, if anybody. Yeah, Clive Barker cannot no. get a break, can he, with his films? <laughs> Unless he directs them himself, they just that never really work out. Did himself, didn't he? Uh, first, he did the first yeah. Hellraiser himself. I think mm. he did Nightbreed. Um, and I know we got three decent Hellraiser sequels, and then they just kept mm. making them. Um, which is which, is like the Predator, it's one of those series that you can do anything with, and they just keep doing the same boring ass things with it. You can go any time in space and wherever you want with this thing and they just do the same thing. Isn't one of the Hellraiser films set in space? Yes. Hellraiser Bloodline. But it goes, it's like got the, I wouldn't say it's got the 18th century elements in there, it's got modern day and it's got space and it's it's really good. I enjoyed it. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as well. That's got an airship in it. We need to make a list I, now. I, I, I'm, 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 feeling, I'm feeling something coming up. <laughs> I didn't know you liked them as well. Airships. I didn't know that I liked airships as much until we embarked in this conversation. Now when I think of airships, I just think of Indiana Jones punching the Nazi officer. There's a Werner Herzog documentary called The White Diamond about an airship. Oh, mate. Ross, Ross Geller is apparently killed by an airship, as Chandler points out. One person per <laughs> year dies <laughs> of accidents. Oh, God, um, I had no idea it was a thing. Oh, brilliant. It's... No, there's not one in the aviator. No, there's, a whole, there's a 30s it's film called Dirigible, Goose. which in, in and of itself just should exist. I didn't know about the White Diamond, though. I am really... I love a bit of Werner Herzog. Anyway, sorry, we um, we totally digress. <laughs> we did. We went off on a random tangent. Yeah, I didn't there, think. So. There's probably someone just like like screaming at their computer to know what <laughs> to do next. It's like, where will you get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> uh, next time, I had a few ideas in mind, and then. I was looking through my list and I saw a film which has been described as encapsulating the 3am drive to McDonald's. Okay. And this is um, a film which ties into a film that we covered way, way back in, in the podcast in Annals of this movie. 
Um, it's from 1995, directed by Wong Kar Wai, and it's Fallen Angels. Oh, fantastic! A film which I keep seeing that that uh, poster shot of them oh, Takashi, the Takashi Kaneshiro on the motorbike with is it Michelle yeah. Lee? Is that her name? Charlie think, Young. Yes, you're right. It's, Funnily enough, this is a film I own twice on Blu-ray because I bought it twice by mistake. Oh, it could be. No, no, sure. I think you're right. Um, yeah, so it's the kind of sequel. Well, so we watched Chungkung Express oh, back in yes, we did. one of our first five episodes, I'm thinking. If- yeah, it was uh, my big cinema shame because I'd never been able to to finish it. And you need to say... Back when we like started doing our cinema mm. shames on the on the show, that was like a big one for myself. So I think it was like back in episode. I want. Five, I, want I, I think say. it was that long ago. Um, now, Chunking Express originally was going to be three stories, but uh, for reasons of time and budget, they only ended up making the two. So, Fallen Angels is another two stories, but one of them was dropped from the original Chunking Express and the, and the other one is is new. Very it's, it's oh, a, a really good choice and a film I'm really looking forward to going back and watching because I think it doesn't get the love it should. I think people you know say oh Chunking Express and Ashes of Time and a couple of other Wonka Wai movies and I do feel that Fallen Angels doesn't get the credit it's due i don't even know if it ever had a uk release must have done it's had a it's had a most recent one criterion yes put it yes out as the box ah set. so we and we need to be careful because mr mr wong has a habit of fucking around with his films on re-releases <laughs> but i'm sure it's fine this no good i won't talk about it anymore but yeah really good choice and sort of it's one of those films that was on my long list anyway so yeah We'll um we'll have a couple of there's a certainly have you seen it yet? I've not seen this one. Wonka White is one of those directors I really want to get into because Tarantino's a big fan. And he put out Chunking Express who rolled in front of the pictures. It's one of the first releases he put. He did the intro and the outro to it. And it was one of those films he was like absolutely obsessed with. And I've seen other bits and pieces of his filmography. Like I've, I love him in the move for love. I love 24 to six and I watch ashes of time and like have no clue what's going on. And I just never watch anything by him again. Um, but yeah, I really want to, this is one I wanted to, to cross off just cause it keeps, it keeps popping mm. up. Too I much think it's it. for me. Not I, to see I it's think it has had a recent burst of popularity in our circles. If I if I can say it like that, um, so 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 yeah, I I saw it long 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 time ago. I think I actually saw it before I'd seen Chunking Express. And like I say, I've accidentally bought it twice in the past. So I'll need to, I'll need to, but probably on Blu-rays that I can't even watch. <laughs> you know, they'll be like Hong Kong ones that are the wrong thing. But I'll definitely definitely looking forward to it. And of course, what it'll do is make me think: Do I want to buy that bloody Wong Kar Wai box set? That's Far too much money for far too few films that have been tweaked. When I've got all the other movies, I don't know. I oh, don't do this to me. <laughs> so join us next time for the, <laughs> the continual conundrum of Stevens. Yeah, I think like there them. will definitely be moments of that. Um, but um, 
in the meantime, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Please leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show, as it all helps raise the profile of the show as well. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come say hi to us there. Our Facebook page in particular, we post something new pretty much every day. Uh, not only relating to Asian cinema, but Asian pop culture as well. And we have some fun interactions happening there as well. Uh, you can also check out our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com, which has got our complete archive of episodes. We've got the Takashi Miike month rundown. We've got the... Anthony Wong month for a recap. We've got the Battle Royale chapter by chapter breakdown, as well as the movie vault. We've got the anime vault. We've got the Dark Side of Asian Cinema. There is so much stuff on there for you to read and check out. So uh, go check that out over there as well. But uh, until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks to my co host, as always. And we will be back next time to talk about Fallen Angels. But until then, good night. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.